Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord, I'm sorry, the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Uh, this, of course, um, immediately makes you think of uh, the creation story. And, you know, Pastor Bobby often goes back to Genesis, which I appreciate because um, it's, it's just always good to tie things in foundationally. And from the very first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was of the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here we have this concept of the waters and there being kind of chaos and then God uh, creating uh, the earth. And um, so here we have this reference in verse 2, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it on the rivers. That kind of just looking back to that creation time. By the way, um, I've mentioned a couple times, and many of you are aware of um, uh, Pastor Tim Keller's passing uh, a month or so ago. Um, uh, I still I listen to his podcast, which they're releasing sermons from, you know, when he was pastor of Redeemer Church there in New York. Um, but the where they're releasing uh, sermons now, he's doing a series on the big themes of the Bible, uh, and obviously creation is one of those themes throughout the Bible, and uh, the garden and marriage and all those things that are established in Genesis. So I would highly commend that to you. Verse 1, the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof. So I think we can all recognize that uh, God is creator. And as a result, uh, he has the authority to do whatever he wants with this, right? And so the rules that he established for Adam and Eve, the consequences for when those rules were broken, all of that is totally his prerogative, Um and we have to accept that because he is the creator. Uh, he founded it, it says, everything is his. Um, this is, of course, in contrast to many uh, local gods, you might say. Uh, their sphere of influence was very limited. Uh, not a lot of gods claimed uh, influence over the entire earth, let alone having created the entire earth. But, of course, uh, our Lord God uh, definitely qualifies for that. Uh, as we look, you can, uh, and I've written in my margin, as one commentator suggested, we've got the Creator God, verses 3 through 6 that we'll look at next, uh, talk about the Holy God, and then verse 7 through 10, uh, 7 through 10 rather, uh, our glorious uh, God, our glorious King. First of all, the creator God who has all authority to do whatever he wants, however he wants. And as Pastor Keller made the comment in a, in a podcast I was just listening to this week, if you want to know what's wrong with the world, you just have to look at how it deviates from how God made it. And it's not a big mystery. If you want to know why people don't get along, uh, it's because people don't get along when there's sin in the world. Um, you know, you know, Adam, as soon as he was confronted with his sin, what did he do? Well, 
take Eve, you know, you know, uh, just deal with her. You know, it wasn't my fault. I mean, immediately throwing her under the bus, if there were a bus back then, um, you know, that just this, we, we, we recognize easily this, you know, broken relationship with God, but immediately sin, there's broken relationship between people and, and because you broke the creator's rules. Verse three, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And then what says, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. As, as you think about this passage, it, um, it calls to mind this strange, it's, it's a, it's a, it almost seems like a, a set of contradictory messages. And you guys have seen Pastor Bobby try to navigate this. So what do we say to anyone who wants to know what it really means to be a Christian? We say, it's just acknowledging your own sin, recognizing that Jesus covered that sin, paid for that sin by his death, There's nothing you could ever do to earn your place in heaven. You just accept what he did. God looks at that and imputes that righteousness to you. That's what we tell people, right? It's all what? Grace. It's all grace. It's it's no merit of our own, right? So there's nothing we, as you've heard the cliche, uh, there's nothing we could ever do to make God love us more, right? Nothing we could ever do to make God love us less um, because he just he loves us out of his own, you know, passion, his own reasonings for his glory. It's all about grace. But then Paul wrestles with this, too. Right. Shall I continue in grace that you know, or continue in sin that grace might abound? Right. Uh, so what is this call as the psalmist has? to be good, to be better, to, to do better, to perform better, right? It says, who gets to be, who gets to ascend the hill of the Lord? Who is going to be there to receive the blessings of the Lord? Who's going to be there to be in God's presence? The one with clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, that is uh, some... Um, versions will say, does not worship idols, who doesn't swear deceitfully. You know, there's, there's some behavior here that matters. Um, if you, you don't have to do this, but in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, those first few verses we called the what? The Beatitudes. Verse 8 of Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
What does this say? Who's going to send the hill of the Lord? Who's going to stand in his holy place? Who's, that is, who's going to be in his presence? One who has clean hands and a pure heart. So even though our conduct doesn't make us right with God in terms of salvation and you know, being grafted into his family and so forth, it does appear our conduct matters to God, right? And I guess you could argue, argue whether he's just doing that for our benefit, but I think it's more than that. I think there's some element that he wants us to behave properly, right? He wants us to have clean hands and a pure heart to be in, you know, to be in his presence. There, there are blessings associated with that. And I think we've probably seen that, right? I mean, if you look at, although you can have people that God has just graciously plucked from families that were dysfunctional and situations that were horrible and bless them, how many of us have been blessed by not just godly parents, but Godly grandparents and godly great-grandparents and this generational blessing. And I think there's, I think this maybe gets at some of that, that there are benefits to um, good conduct. Um, in, um, in James 4, um, There's, you know, so many things, but it says uh, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Back to James 4. (laughs) I was reading. It says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Here we have the same concept put together in this verse about cleaning your hands and purifying your hearts. And what does it say in Psalm 24, 4? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. In other words, yes, you're clean outwardly uh, in the sense that people can observe your conduct, right? So you are you know, walking the walk, you're, you're doing what you should be doing. But the clean heart part is to guard against the Pharisee thing where you're not just doing the right thing, but you're doing it for the right reason, right? The Pharisees were very good at doing the right things, but for horrible reasons, right? So Jesus' message to them was all about what was happening on the inside of them, that that was, the, that was where the death and decay and the horribleness was, was on the inside. Uh, so here we have in this one passage, this call to having clean hands and a pure heart so that you can be in God's presence and so that, verse 5, he will receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Now we know our righteousness comes, you know, imputed to us through Jesus but in Old Testament speak, you know, there's blessings from the Lord. We, as a, as a denomination, I'm not sure we focus on this concept of blessing 
as much as maybe some traditions do, but it's very clear here that there are blessings that we receive from the Lord. And this says, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. In other words, this binds us together as a people. Those of us that are um, wanting to be in God's presence, who are trying to um, to be near to God, so to speak, this is one of those things that pulls us together. This is who the Lord blesses. Verse 7, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. This, of course, sounds very triumphant. Uh, This has the sound of victory, uh, of celebration of the Lord and and his his might, his glory, and so forth. Uh, Just fascinating. This concept of glory, um, we looked at uh, one of the tasks that Pastor Bobby has the elders doing is going through Uh, systematic theology, and we're on the part where we talk about the attributes of God, and there are all these attributes of God that Wayne Grudem talks about, but then there was was some that he, you could tell he just couldn't find a good spot to put them, and and I've I've learned that he's so organized, it probably really bothered him that that this really didn't fit properly into his outline, but he, he he came up with some summary attributes, and one of the summary attributes of God was God's glory. And he said something I'd never really thought of before, and he, uh, he had the verses, which I didn't include in my notes, but he said, God's glory is a created thing that God used to clothe himself with. That that is how God chose to present himself to us was by clothing himself in his in glory, which was a created thing, because God is spirit, right? Not material, but God's glory is a real thing, and it was something he created to clothe himself in to present to us. I thought that was a fascinating concept, um, and and probably worth your further study. But here we have this King of Glory, this King of Glory, and I think. It's, it's amazing, and of course, there's a lot of things that we think of with glory in terms of accolades and uh, um, accomplishments and so forth, and, and all of that would apply here. Uh, as one commentator says, it does not, in fact, let me see if I can quote it. I can't find it, but basically he says it doesn't take a lot of imagination to read this passage and think about that ultimate day when Christ conquers everything, reestablishes the proper order of things on the with the respect to the new heavens and the new earth, and ultimately this is that celebration uh, of the glorious King, and I think it was with that concept in view that. Schofield and others saw Psalm 22, 23, and 24 as somewhat of a trilogy in the sense that we have, you know, 
the sacrificial and suffering shepherd uh, in chapter 22. And in chapter 23, we have this um, shepherd who's present with us and and um, uh, with providing care and, and guidance and so forth. And then in chapter 24, we have this ultimate victorious shepherd, as it were, um, conquering king uh, to kind of show the the before, the now, and the after uh, progression. I, th- I certainly think that's a helpful way to think about this. So these are the basics of the passage. So let's look at um, at least one way that this might have been thought about in context. Uh, over in Second Samuel chapter 6, is where we have the story of the return of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And in verse 12 it says, um, The Lord has blessed uh, the household that belongs to him because of the Ark of God. He brought up the Ark of God to the city with rejoicing uh, and so forth. And, you know, David's leaping and dancing and all these sorts of things as the Ark of the Covenant is being brought into Jerusalem. And so many people think that if there, is a, um, if there was a real-life event that prompted this psalm, that it might have been this. Or it may have been a similar situation. You, you recall that it was not uncommon in battle, they would take the Ark of the Covenant with them into battle. And, of course, you've got your Ark of the Covenant. You will not lose. And so... Every, when they would come back, bring the ark back, it would be in victory. And so some people see this related to that. So if you look at it from that perspective, we have this, you know, this acknowledgement of God as creator, God in charge of all things, God having authority over all things. And then you have uh, what some people think would have been uh, perhaps some guidance for ceremonial cleansing before you kind of went into uh, the final celebration of the return to the city. Um, maybe you'd killed some people. Maybe there was some ceremonial cleansing that needed to happen before you could rightly stand, you know, in the presence there. And that's this clean hands and pure heart thing to kind of examine yourself, cleanse yourself. And then the seven and so forth would be what happened when you uh, actually brought the ark in. And so some people see this as two priests having this back and forth. And it's kind of interesting to think about this. Uh, so, you know, the Ark of the Covenant was accompanied by a contingent of priests who were authorized to, um, to uh, accompany it and carry it and, carry, you know, look after it and so forth. And then you have priests at the gate, right? So think about it this way. Um, Verse 7, the priest on the outside with the ark is looking at the gates of the city and saying, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. We've got the ark of the covenant, right? And then... In response, the priest on the gate saying, who is this king of glory? To which they would reply from 
the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Then they would say, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And the priest would say, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is a king of glory. It's like a, almost like a responsive reading sort of thing. And I thought that was a really helpful way of looking at this. And, and this shows kind of how this psalm may have actually been used in worship. You know, we uh, get used to certain forms of worship, right? Um, and I've shared the concept before in different places that things that are familiar to us seem correct, seem right. So if you are raised in a, a church tradition where there was a more liturgical uh, format where there was a script and everybody knew what they were supposed to do at a particular time and you have this back and forth and this audience participation and you know when you're supposed to stand up and, and be ready to, to reply properly, that seems right to a lot of people. That seems proper. And, and uh, this passage may have been used in, in that particular way. Uh, and if you look at it that way, how, what a great part of your worship service this would be, right? You acknowledge God as creator of all things, as having authority over all things, including yourself. And then you have this time of examining yourself. Um, what are your motives? Do you want to do you want to be with the Lord? Uh, do you want to be in his presence? Do you want to receive his blessings? Okay. Are your hands clean? Are your motives right? And then, if so, all right, now you can ask for the gates to be open because we're coming in. There's victory here because the Lord is mighty and strong. So, Psalm 24. Any thoughts? I thought of something when you were talking about the glory of God being a physical thing. I see that every day in nature. And on Facebook, there's a beautiful bird. I don't know the name of it, but there's a, a group that's nothing but pictures of birds. And I don't know how anybody cannot believe in God if they see these different birds. And that is God's glory. Plain as day, just staring me in the face. It's yep. a physical thing. So we see the glory of God in creation. Who else picked up something from Psalm 24? Karen? Hold on. Their idea of an idol was the things that you bow down and worship, and but they're 
a lot, we have a lot of idols now that things that draw us away. <coughs> Absolutely. Who else? I've been reading in Job, and it reminds me of, that, of Job, how he was. They tried to tell him to curse God and die and all, and he, he wouldn't even stand for that. I've been reading a lot of Job lately. Very good. Good. Um, God often confronted Job. Um, did you make the world? You know, <laughs> you know, basically, who are you? Okay. Yeah, the uh, first four and five. Um, it, for somebody to read that, I said, I look at this as almost a little prophetic because for a person to read this back in that time, none of us, none of us have clean hands and pure hearts, not continually, and so. There's a contra- you mentioned a contradiction earlier. There's there's a an uneasiness there because I can't go. I don't have pure a pure heart and clean hands. But then he said, "Lift up your eyes, O gates, and let the King of Glory come in. Lift up your face to God and let Jesus come in. Mm. And He is the King of Glory. He's the one that gives you what you need. So I, I, I see that in this. Along, I'm sure that's not what David was thinking at the time. Amen." Uh, an excellent uh, point that you know, Scripture is so rich that these words had a meaning to the people that had access to it early on. Um, but how how even richer our understanding uh, as we see more of the rest of the story. So excellent. Anyone else? Jeff. That ties into a Schofield note where. Verse 3 is interpreted as, you know, who's worthy? Who's worthy to ascend? And the answer is no one, but one. Yep. Who else? See, now you're starting to think, okay, gosh. I got so. <coughs> I'm going to have a chance to, to speak. <laughs> You know, it was talking about the idol. Uh, you know, you have to have clean hands of pure heart. Does not lift up the soul to an idol. Our biggest idol is ourselves, and the only way we can get beyond that is with the help of Jesus. Right. So we have to we have to look to Him constantly. One of the natural things that helps you get your eye off yourself is when you start to put your eyes in this terminology, uh, who's going to ascend the hill of the Lord? I'm looking up to that hill of the Lord. Uh, Naturally would de-emphasize what you see from yourself. Who else? like how it says in verse 5, first they're saying, who, how do you do this? You receive the blessing from the Lord, and that's how you can lift up your hands, and that's how you can get through it. I have a southern friend down here, and she talks, I've never heard this expression before, but she says, I'm looking for the blessing in my trouble. <laughs> and I thought of that, of the trouble. What is the blessing? I, a lot of people say you have a blessed day and be blessed. What does it really mean? 
But according to this, if you haven't done these things, if you have the clean hands and you lift it up, you will receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Amen. Who else? See them? Somewhere, somewhere else in the scripture, uh, you see Christ standing at the door knocking. And you just happen to open. You just open the door for him, and that's what I think about when I see now, uh, doors be lifted up so that the King of Glory can come in. Thank you, Sita. Who else? <clears throat> All right, so this is a win-win. So when I leave extra time for your participation, we get to get the benefit. But if, if nobody does it, we get out early. I'm not sure if that's... I'm not sure if our incentives are properly aligned, but we may have to work on that. Anyone else? Yes. Um, we can have clean hands uh, unless we're trusted in Jesus. And then we're sanctified. And we can, rather call it, look at us as if we have clean hands. Jesus' yeah. blood covers our sin. Everybody hear that? No. Okay. Clean hands only come. <laughs> Because the blood of Christ cleanses us. Well, we can, I'll probably forget what I said now. <laughs> um, we can't have clean hands unless we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then God the Father, uh, when he looks at us, he sees the purity of Jesus. And Jesus is our advocate. Yeah. And we help uh, his forgiveness that he paid for those dirty hands and other sins that we have. Even now we may have dirty hands but in the end he forgives us. So by all means we're you know we're always you know approaching um, God asking you know for forgiveness and so forth going forward but when the accuser tries to say that's who we really are, we can very truthfully say that is not who God sees. And that's really not who I am, even though it may still be what I do sometimes. Anyone else? I guess so. Yeah. You know, I saw it as uh, being a uh, very busy verse. You know, in these times of giving praise in the Psalms, people were being very active in what was going on in that time. So there was a time during that, even during seasons that they went out and they were kind of purging themselves. They went to war. They had to stand up for what they believed. I took this verse as one of warning and I took it one of being encouraging, saying, hey, you got to be busy. You know, there were there was times in which there was a way to worship to keep you to remind you of what was going on, but don't become complacent in that worship that you're doing. 
and then continue to be busy because if not, look at where we are today. They were busy, they had to go out and fight. Who was the ones that went out to the battlefield a lot of times, not just the warriors, but it was the Christians who believed that were purging the land. They were standing up for what God said to do. And then after all that, that when they came in, they couldn't forget why they went out in the first place. So that's kind of the way I saw it. Thank you. Anyone else? Jeff. David uses another title for God in verse 10. I don't know if we address that, but it's a favorite of mine, Lord of Hosts. It's an interesting study. The names of God are a progressive revelation of his attributes. And uh, I don't recall the first use of Lord of Hosts, but this is, this is one of several. The picture is a majestic one of him leading an innumerable host of angels. Yep. And saints. Anyone else? All right, thank you. Um, uh, for, for really blessing each other through this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you are the king of glory, that you are the victorious king, that you are the king that can uh, call us to yourself and give us clean hands and a clean heart for better service as we continue to stay in the game until you call us home. We thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen. Thanks, everybody.